We're in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. The word of God speaks to us like this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I had commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till the return to the ground, uh, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. This is the word of God to us. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Derek. Uh, I'm the community director here at Frontline Church, and I'm just grateful to be here with you this morning. If you've been with us uh, recently, then you know that we've been walking through the book of Genesis for the last several weeks. Right, and Genesis is the, the first book of the Bible. It's kind of like our, our origin story, right? It's, it's how we were created. It's why we were created. It's, it's answering questions like, what does it mean to be human, right? Why did God create us? And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3, which is uh, the same chapter that, that we looked at last week. We're spending two weeks on this chapter, and so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles and, uh, and take a look at that passage as I was uh, preparing and thinking about um, what I wanted to share this morning, I was thinking back to the spring of 2020, which uh, I think when I say those words, you all know exactly what I'm speaking of, right? And I was thinking specifically about how in the spring of 2020, all of our days felt like the same day, right? Like Wednesdays felt like Fridays and Saturdays felt like Mondays and every day was the same. And I don't know, I don't know how your family or your home kind of dealt with that. Um, but one thing that we did as, I guess not as a family, because it was after our kids went to bed, but one thing that we did is in April and uh, in May, ESPN was showing uh, this incredible documentary called The Last Dance. And, and what this was is this is 12 hours of chronicling the story of the Chicago Bulls winning uh, the NBA championship in 1998. Okay. Um, and and, and I, was, I was thinking back on this documentary and thinking, what was it about that documentary that was so captivating to me? Like, I know what happened. The Bulls won, right? Like, like Michael Jordan won his sixth championship, and it was all very exciting. I, I, I know the players that were involved. Like, none of that was a surprise. Why was this documentary so captivating? Well, I, I, I think... Not for sure, but I think what captivated my imagination is the fact that this documentary was built around perspectives. 
it wasn't just Michael Jordan telling his story. We heard from Scottie Pippen, and we heard from Isaiah Thomas, and we heard from uh, the security guards, and we heard from the reporters, and we heard from all of these people who, who, who got to experience this story, this journey toward a championship from different angles. And, and what we ended up with was this like 12-hour 3D documentary telling this story from all different angles. And, 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 I, and I say all that this morning because I, I think that's something similar to what we see here in Genesis chapter 3, right? The, the event is not a championship of any kind. The event is the fall of man, right? It's, it's sin being inter, introduced to this world. It's the, it's the fracture of this world. And, and we see in the first 13 verses, in verses 1 through 13, we we see uh, three characters, right? The, the serpent, the woman, and the man. And we, we see the, the serpent who's uh, described as crafty. He's quick with words. He's full of lies, and he's our first character, right? And, and then we also see Eve, this, this woman who, who, who I think tried really hard to stand in her place and resist the serpent, right? She even took God's words and twisted them to try to defend herself, but ultimately fell to sin. In the, the third character in this story that we hear from in those first 13 verses is Adam, right? Passive Adam who stands by and watches as his wife Eve falls into sin, Passive Adam, who then goes on to hide from God. And then when, when God uh, finally confronts him, his first response is, oh, it was, it was Eve. She, she, she led me to do this. And then when that didn't work, he actually turns around and blames God and says, actually, it was the woman that you chose to give me. Right, so that's the first part of this chapter, telling the story of the fall of man from the perspective of these, these three characters, the, the serpent, Eve, and Adam. But the, the second part of this chapter exposes us to God's response to sin. Right? And for the first time, we see how God feels about sin. And, and when we experience this story from God's perspective, we, we experience the seriousness of sin. We experience the wisdom of God, and we experience the, the unending depth of mercies that God extends to us. See, when we experience God's response to sin, we actually get to examine God himself, his, his, his nature, his, his character. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to examine all the things that, that we can learn about God from Genesis chapter 3. And if you're looking for more information about what the fall means for our world, what the, what the fall means for us, man, I would, I would point you to last week's sermon. Jeff did a wonderful job of, of unpacking um, what, what sin's effect on creation is. But, but this morning, I, I want us to, to set our eyes and set our hearts on God. And I say that with some trepidation in my voice because I feel a, a, a deep responsibility to articulate the character of God clearly. And I can't do that on my own. So 
I wanna invite you to pray for me, and I wanna pray for you before we jump into this text. Father, we need you. Spirit of God, we need you to show up. We need you to interrupt us. We need you to take a text that might feel familiar and, um, and, and, and something that's been in our lives for a long time and, and let us see it with fresh eyes and fresh ears. Spirit of God, I, I pray that as we leave here this morning, we would have a, a clearer picture of who you are and who we are in light of who you are. Father God, I I pray that you would uh, allow my words to be clear, and I pray that you would open the hearts and the eyes of my friends here this morning. Father, we love you. Amen. Amen. Well, God's response to sin in Genesis chapter 3 first tells us that God is just, that God is is just. See, I I think that if we were really honest with ourselves, like really honest, then we might ask the question, was, was all of this even that big of a deal? Right? Like, did did God overreact? And maybe if you if you go a layer deeper than that, maybe it's something to the effect of like, Was it even fair for God to take Adam and Eve and and put them in a garden and and put them in proximity to this tree with this fruit that they could see and they could touch, but they they couldn't eat it? Like, like that actually feels unfair that they would be put in this position. Did, Did God overreact? They didn't murder anybody. They didn't have an affair. They didn't cheat on a test. Well, the the late pastor and author Tim Keller defines sin as as this. He says that it's the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. In, in, In other words, sin is not just doing bad things. It is doing bad things, but it's not just doing bad things. See, sin is also making good things ultimate things, right? And in the case of, of Adam and Eve, they believe that the, that the freedom and the power that, that God gave them entitled them to be equal with God. It entitled them to, to live independently of his good boundaries, and it entitled them to self-sufficiency, And and God's response to their disobedience shows us the seriousness of sin and the desperation of our situation. I I think about it like this. About 15 years ago, my dad was was having a lot of pain in his hip. And and so he he went to the doctor, and um, the doctor did some tests and and then came back and said, listen... um, I think we need to do a hip replacement. Your, 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 your joint is deteriorating. And my dad's response was like, man, I'm not that old. I, I, don't, I don't think I need a new hip yet. Like, uh, I, I think I can deal with this pain a, a little bit longer. And the doctor was like, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand. If we don't replace this hip, then, uh, then your body is going to start to compensate and, and your knee is going to start to hurt. 
right? And, and then your body's gonna compensate again and your other hip is gonna start to bother you. And then eventually your back is gonna, is gonna start to curve and your shoulders and your neck are gonna be in trouble. And, and what's gonna happen is that you are going to uh, eventually be severely limited in terms of your mobility. So my dad was like, okay. And so the doctor cut him open went to the joint that was deteriorating, cut the bad joint out, replaced it with a good joint. And, and I'm, I'm sure that in the process of my dad's recovery, there were moments that he thought, man, I'm actually in more pain right now than I was before I had the hip replacement. But, but the reality is, is that the, the doctors couldn't simply look the other way and let that hip continue to break down because they knew that it would lead to brokenness all throughout my dad's body, right? Sin leads to sin, and God couldn't look the other way. And it's, it's, it's like this. Think of a, a young husband and a wife who get in a fight over a, a, a stack of dirty dishes, and that husband walks in the other room, and in a moment of weakness, he texts an ex-girlfriend and just says, hey, how, how are you? And that text message leads to um, a, a series of, of hidden emails, and those emails lead to uh, a meetup at a coffee shop, and that leads to a hotel room. And all of a sudden, this husband who uh, simply lost his temper in this moment with dishes is in the midst of an affair, right? Because sin leads to sin. Or, or maybe think of it like this, a, a middle school boy chooses to belittle and bully and embarrass his classmates because he never experienced the affection and the affirmation of a mother and father. But, but here's this boy literally carrying the sins of his parents and it leads him to mistreat those around him. Right, and I, and I shudder to think about what that young boy's marriage is gonna look like in 10 years, right? Because sin leads to sin. Joshua Butler says it like this. He says, sin will not be content until it has destroyed the world. Rage seeks after a person to cut down. Greed hunts for resources to devour. Lust is on the lookout for a body to objectify. And pride is on the prowl for an opportunity at self-exaltation. See, sin leads to sin, and God knows it. He knows it. And I think that too often we think about God's love and God's justice in, in opposition to one another. But it's actually God's love that leads him to act justly by eradicating this world of its sin. See, God doesn't look the other way in Genesis chapter 3 because he loves us. Right? And, and he's not going to simply look past your sin because your good acts outweigh your bad acts because he is coming to judge this sinful, cancerous world because his judgment is the means by which he will eradicate this world of sin, by which he will bring us back to shalom, this word that Jeff used last week and defined for us, this, this wholeness, this peace, 
we will once again be in shalom when sin is eliminated from our world. See, God is just, and his justice is for our good. Genesis 3 also tells us that God is wise, that God is wise. And to to see the wisdom of God, I'd like to break verses 14 through 19 up into three sections, right? The, The snake, the woman, and the man. So, Listen to the verses referring to the snake. This is uh, verses 14 and 15. Please read with me. The, The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. See, the the snake is the first in this line to receive the curse, right? Because God created animals and land and sea to exist in, in peace with humankind, Right? We see this in the first two chapters of Genesis when, when we see that Adam is asked to name all of the animals. We see God look at everything he created and say that this is good. And we can see that they're living in peace because Adam and Eve live in this garden naked and don't have to worry about ticks or sunburn, right? Like, it's a big deal. But out of God's wisdom, he takes the, the very essence of creation peace, and he curses it. And and for the snake, it means that that the dirt, this, this substance that God used to create man, the dirt will no longer be a hospitable or a pleasurable abode for this creature Right, and, and, and he's going to eat dust and live a cursed existence. And, and for creation, it means that there's no more living in harmony with humankind. That, that this creature and man will live in enmity, struggling against one another. That this is the, the very essence of creation, cursed. And so you ask, Why? Why would God do that? Let's go on to the the next character here. We have the the woman. Read with me verse 16. It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. See, in this moment, Eve is is receiving the curse on behalf of all women to come, right? See, God God created woman to to bring life and to bring strength into this world. You can see that even in the physical manifestation of a woman, right? The physical body that's made to reproduce life and to sustain life, right? And and women are are gifted to bring life and, and strength into the home, and into relationships in ways that men just simply aren't. 
I, I love the fact that in Genesis chapter two, um, uh, the, the language that refers to woman is, is helper, right? Which could, can feel a little bit difficult uh, until you look at the Hebrew and you realize that that word is used to refer to woman in chapter two, but it's used to refer all throughout the New Testament or the Old Testament as, as referring to God, our helper, our, our supporter, our stabilizer, and the way that he relates to his people. That's a, a beautiful parallel that's, that's happening there. And, and then, out of God's wisdom in this moment, he takes the very essence of woman, life giver, strengthener, stabilizer, and he curses it. He curses it so, such that that creating and nurturing life doesn't stop, it doesn't end, but now it's accompanied by pain and sorrow and, and complications, right? The, the woman as, as helper, as strengthener, doesn't cease, but, but it's actually gonna be a, a source of contention between man and woman. This is the very essence of woman, cursed. And so again, we have to stop and say, why? Why would God do that? And the third character that we find here is the man. So read with me verses 17 through 19. It says, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are the dust, and to dust you shall return. See, in this moment, Adam is, is receiving this curse on behalf of all men to come. And, 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 and God created men to be protectors, to, to be shepherds, to be cultivators, right? To, to tend creation. Josh referred to this a couple weeks ago, but like we can see that in the, in the physical makeup of a man's body that's, that's broader and taller and stronger as if God created us to protect and to cultivate and to tend. And then, out of God's wisdom, he takes, he takes the very essence of man, shepherd, protector, cultivator, and he curses it so that we're still called to cultivate. But, but now our labor requires us to work through hard ground full of thistles and weeds in, 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 a, in a moment that often feels fruitless. And although our bodies are created with strength, eventually they will weaken. They will decay and they will die. Right? This is the very essence of man, cursed. And again, we, we just have to stop and say, God, why? Why have you cursed in such specific ways? How, how do these curses speak to God's wisdom? 
Well, I, I think about it like this. When I was in high school, I broke my finger. And I don't know if you have ever tried to tie your shoes with a broken finger, uh, but it's not a fun experience, right? All of a sudden, this simple task is filled with uh, toil and pain. And for two months, every morning when I was putting on my shoes, I was reminded that I lacked the ability to do this task that was almost second nature to me before my injury, right? But, but here's what's happened. For, for those two months every morning, I was also reminded that my finger wasn't going to stay broken forever. And eventually, I'd be able to tie my shoes the way that I once could, the way that was second nature to me. See, in his wisdom, God gave particular curses that, that pertain to particular giftings, the, the things that are second nature to us, so that when we experience the fracture of sin, we might have a, have a taste of what's to come, right? When we can experience the fullness of his kingdom. So what that means is that creation will once again experience peace as it was meant to be. Right? That what this means for you ladies is, is that one day you will bring beauty and life in a way that doesn't require pain and sorrow the way that it was supposed to be. And men, what that means for us is that one day we, were, we will labor, but our labor won't be toil the way that it was meant to be. And, and now, now we're not just talking about God's wisdom anymore. Now we're talking about God's mercy because that's the third thing I want to point to this morning, that God is merciful. Th think with me for a minute about the unbelievable mercy that God showed in the simple act of walking through the garden and looking for Adam and Eve. Because at the, at the moment of sin, he could have just chosen to, to destroy all of creation, right? He, he could have chosen to, uh, to, to leave Adam and Eve on this world and, and abandon them and let them deal with the fractures of sin on their own. He, he could have done a, a million things, but, but he didn't. He, he goes to the garden. He visits them. He says, hey, wh why are you hiding? Who, who told you that you were naked? What happened? In church, don't look past the fact here that God pursues these two sinners and he doesn't act without listening to them first. Right? He, he gives them the opportunity to speak for themselves. He invites them toward confession. He, he listens to them even though he knows what they're going to say. And then he responds to them with, with clear consequences and clear actions. And, and just as an aside, as we had all of these new young parents up here with their little ones, Genesis chapter 3 is not about parenting. But man, we can learn a ton about how to pursue our children, listen to our children, and respond clearly from the way that God pursues, listens, and responds to Adam and Eve. And, and as if God's pursuit of his people in the garden 
weren't enough, read verse 21 with me. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. See, God knew that he was going to be removing Adam and Eve from the garden. He, he knew the type of danger, the type of, of wayward journey that they were headed on. So out of his mercies, he chose to clothe them with a material that would withstand the elements, right? With, with a material that would, that would keep them warm, with a material so much better than the fig leaves they tried to use to cover themselves, This is the first death that we see in creation. Are the animals slaughtered to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness? See, what God did for Adam and Eve in verse 21 was not only merciful, it was also kind. And the, and the mercies and the kindness of God have not ceased because it's out of God's justice and wisdom and mercy that he's actually still caring for us, right? Because because Jesus, God's son, lived the life that we were called to live. And, And Jesus died the death that we deserved so that as we are united with Jesus by faith, when God looks at those of us who have placed our faith and hope in Jesus, he sees Jesus, right? His, his death stands in for our death and his, his life is given to us as a, as a free act of grace. See, Jesus takes this curse upon himself so that we might be seen as holy. That's the good news, church. That's the beautiful good news of the gospel. So I want to leave you with two questions to reflect on this morning. The first is this. Do you actually believe that sin leads to death? And, and, and not just the type of death that happens at the end of life, but that, but that sin is actually corroding the way that we live now, causing consequences and, and little deaths all along the way, splintering and fracturing our world. Are, are, you, are you treating perpetual sin in your life with kid gloves, with an underlying assumption that it really isn't that big of a deal? Do you have sins in your life that you're leaving unaddressed because it just seems easier to let them be than to go through the pain of removing them? Because if that's true, friends, hear me when I say, if not removed, they will destroy you. Do you believe that sin leads to death? And my second question is this. 
In what ways are you running from God's good boundaries? In what ways are you running from God's good boundaries? Where do you bristle at God's commands in Scripture? Where do you find yourself trying to, trying to reason your way out of God's moral compass, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's that you, uh, you, you rely on yourself. You just have self-reliance. Maybe you're holding grudges. Maybe there are parts of your inner life, of your inner self, that you haven't invited God to because you're ashamed. Right? Your thoughts, your fantasies, your addictions, Another way of asking this question is where are you defining sin as opposed to letting God define sin? In what ways are you running from God's good boundaries? Hey, church, will you stand with me for a minute? Because even as I ask those questions, I can feel the weight in the room. And, and I, wanna, I wanna remind us of what's to come. I want to remind us of the hope that we have. So uh, hear these words from Revelation 21 as a, as, a, as a lifter of your hearts this morning. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God and he will wipe away every tear uh, from every eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new.